0: Uh, We'd like to welcome you all back, and thanks for downloading us this time around. We really appreciate it. Uh, Russ has been on vacation with all them gals out in California, and he didn't even bring me back none, so I'm kind of upset.
1: I didn't even bring anything back for myself, so I'm kind of upset, too.
0: Yeah, but you had Mama with you, I'm sure. (laughs)
1: No, I didn't, actually. I was all by my little lonesome. I wish
0: I had, but... um, Well, there... There you go. You can't win for losing. All right. Well, let's jump into feedback real quick. We we'll get this thing moving on along. And uh, this time around, uh, you guys have been slacking. We Russ is his email box is not filling up. Y'all must fill up Russ's box. But. We do have some posts on the website. In fact, I got one right here. It says, "Hey guys, great podcast." By the way, I did re-download episode 1 and let me uh let me back up a little bit. Day- Damon had uh, emailed me and tell- told me he was having trouble pulling down episode 1 and uh I told him go ahead and delete it and try downloading it again. Occasionally the the uh, server hiccups here at uh, Black Sparrow Media, so uh, if that should happen, y'all uh delete it and give it another try. Anyway, I proceed, I I proceed to the point at which I quit. Uh, episode one of the MP, episode one of the MP3 file and it came down fine this time. It was a few hours after I tried the first time. I thought you fixed it. Thank you for this podcast. I'm new to Linux and so far am loving the power, speed and stability of Ubuntu with Gnome. It takes a little getting used to after being familiar only with Windows and yeah, it it does take a little getting used to, but not much. But it is uh, getting better and the more I work getting better, the more I work with it. Good luck and thanks for the education. Damon NN7B. Well, thank you, Damon. And, uh, I'm glad you were able to get that, uh, to download. Yes. Like I said before, the occasionally the server hiccups over there at Black Sparrow Media, but, uh, you can normally pull one down. Uh, if you have any more problems, get back in touch with me. So, uh, you got anything Russ? Well,
1: I didn't get a full email box this week, but I did have an email. So I'll go ahead and read that one. <clears throat> uh, this is from Henry. Uh, Kilo Delta 8, Alpha Romeo Omega, or Oscar, um, KD8ARO. And he says, uh, I have been drinking the Kool-Aid since the first podcast. I have tried Puppy, uh, Damn Small Linux, Slackware, and Ubuntu. And Ubuntu 8.10 wins for ease of use. I am not yet ready to format Windows right out of my ham shack, but I am getting real close. Keep up the pace. It is just right for newbies. And FYI, if someone cannot burn an ISO, they can order one or more from CheapBytes. And that is a good point. We should mention that. They are at uh, CheapBytes, B-Y-T-E, dot com. And they are pretty cheap. I think most of their distros sell for about 4 bucks or something, which is about what it costs for a CD and shipping. So that's a useful uh, point there, and I want to thank Henry for sending me that email. I'm sure, or I hope it's the first of many that will flood following episode four. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we're going to get that. Like I said, if I get some hate mail, I'm going to forward it to you, so we'll get the box full. Um <laughs> that is correct, yes, we should have mentioned that there are several places out there where uh if you're unable for some reason you're on uh, you're still on dial up or uh your d s l tends to choke down when the kids get out of school. there are several places out there where you can uh can have a uh copy of the distro shipped to you. I think uh, Ubuntu even has a plan over at their website where you can have that happen. We'll research that and see if we can't get some information up where y'all can find it. Okay, and uh, that's the one-piece email y'all sent. We uh, got the comment on the website. Let's move over to the forums. Uh, actually, this particular uh, uh, post in the forums has to do with episode one, but it just came in... Uh, Day before yesterday. Yeah, day before yesterday. So, uh, and I think it's a piece of good information. So, uh, let me, uh, put that on you. Uh, KD5VQD uh, posted one that says, just an FYI. I found a repository for SUSE Linux that has ham software. I can't say I have perfect luck with Linux, but SUSE has worked best for on my laptop. Getting most all of its hardware working. Debian, in the past, made me do much compiling and get what I, to get what I want working. Well, I, I understand that, uh, I understand that, uh, that's the reason I'm not running Debian here. My two AMD boxes don't like the, uh, the network cards for some reason. Now, granted, SUSE package, package manager for 10.3 and earlier gives me trouble. And I've been using Smart Package Manager, so nothing is perfect. Here's the repository link. And uh, we got a big long link here, so I'm going to take it slow, y'all. It's http colon uh, stroke stroke download dot opensusi dot org stroke repositories, I-E-S repositories stroke ham radio, stroke open SUSE underscore one zero point three. And he says it seems to work with one point two or uh, 10.2 and 11. That would be versions 10.2 and 11 of SUSE Linux are also supported. I use Linux on my laptop primarily for network testing and Kismet. Oh, I am posting this from my laptop that runs SUSE 10.3 and Windows Pro, Windows Pro Service Pack 3 dual boot desktop is Windows MCE and SUSE 11 working with Compass. And at some point I'm we're going to turn you guys on to Compass because, uh, ham radio operators like eye candy. Uh, isn't that right, Russ?
1: Absolutely. And, Compass is one of those things that I've always had a little trouble with. I've actually tried some of the other 3D desktop managers, and they all sort of work, and sometimes they're a little glitchy and whatnot, but they are fun when you get them to work. And some some distributions handle them a little better than others. One thing that I've found that's kind of a pain in the butt, though, is if you have more than one monitor, um, those 3D desktop managers don't handle that yet. So just keep that in mind um, if you want to try and use it, single monitors only.
0: Yeah, I've got it to work on a couple of machines, but uh, really haven't had time to get into it myself. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely a good tip on the SUSE Linux. Uh, One of the reasons I stopped using it myself, and it's a pretty easy distro to use, uh, one of the reasons I quit using it myself is because I thought they had completely dropped the ham radio software from the repositories. Uh, of course, at that time, I didn't know to go in and look, and there might be repositories I, did, I didn't activate. And uh, as far as the Debian problems, yes, that's definitely why we're uh, uh, more or less gearing towards Ubuntu, or sorry, Ubuntu, or uh, Linux Mint, because Debian Debian is still an old-timers uh, distribution. It's getting easier and easier to set up and run, but uh, yeah, it's getting easier and easier to set up and run, but uh, sometimes it uh, still doesn't lack some of the hardware. I
1: don't know. We might have words over that because I think Debian is one of the easier ones to use. I know Ubuntu is a little flashy on the front, but Debian is still rock solid and it's getting better all the time, especially if you find uh, or use one of the latest installers. But I want to mention, because you uh, had to read off that long URL earlier about the OpenSUSE, um repositories, that I haven't gotten around to, since I was out of town last week, the show notes for the last episode. But when I get around to doing the show notes for this episode, I'll make sure to do the ones for last episode, so everything is current, um, and you don't have to listen, you know, you don't have to type that in as... Uh, Richard reads it so we'll have it uh, we'll have all that information for you and I'll get to that as soon as I possibly can
0: see there you go apologizing nobody's complained I don't think they even noticed but you know yes that's right Russ has been very busy he was out in California not bringing me a blonde and sorry about that (laughs) he was out in California not bringing me a blonde and, uh, he hasn't had time to do the show notes yet, but uh, they will be up. Don't y'all don't never fear Russ. Russ is real good with the website. You know, it's like I told you, those of y'all that follow me on the other program, y'all know I'm not the show notes guy. I can barely get the music listed so y'all can go get it, even though everybody wants to go over there and, uh, and, uh, purchase a copy of the stuff. Anyway, enough about us.
1: Well, I would have brought you a blonde. Unfortunately, it costs almost as much to stuff one in the suitcase as it does to buy him a ticket.
0: Hmm. UPS, brother. UPS.
1: <laughs> I'll remember that
0: next time. Anyway, over into episode three for him. Uh Yeah, the uh, area for episode three, you guys did, uh, did go ahead and leave us a couple pieces of feedback there, and I, I do appreciate it. Uh, the first one's from uh, uh, K04, no, not K04, K-O-4-R-B. And uh, it reads, once again, a very good episode. You guys are starting off on the right foot. Well, I have now downloaded Linux Mint, as well as the others I mentioned in another thread. So I'm ready to follow with any distro you start with. One comment about the audio there is a popping sound i hear occasionally i can't give you a specific but it seems like it's when richard is talking or maybe it's when you switch from Russ to richard or back well let me let me address that uh... last episode we had to kind of go to the backup system and the backup system uh, consists of an old logitech headset and my laptop on this end. Consist of an old Logitech. Uh, headset. And laptop on this end. And that old Logitech headset. When I first got it. I had some problems with the boom. Creaking and popping. And was able to get that problem solved. Well that's been. Over almost two years ago now. And. Uh, I need to go back and work on it a little bit. So. Uh. I was lis- listening to episode three and caught that myself. And what that was was the uh, boom on my headset bouncing. So we will address that and make sure y'all don't have to listen to it. But thanks for letting us know.
1: Um, if, uh, just to point out, I think, I think we made it obvious in an earlier episode, but, um, we record this, uh, on only one side of the feed and the other side comes from Skype. And Skype is notorious for bad audio occasionally, so if sometimes Richard sounds a little weird, um, we'll just blame Skype.
0: That's right, because uh, though, those of the, those who know me know I sound weird most of the time, but that's okay. That's okay because I I have I have haters and Russ doesn't have any. <clears throat> Not so yet. Let's move on. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, Right after that, same same thread, uh, we have NE2Z says, Great episode. You guys do a great job of keeping things simple when presenting subjects that can have a, a lot of complexity. It is so easy to lose oneself in detail and go down a rabbit hole. You guys are great at avoiding that and managing expectations. You did the subject justice, all the best, Joe, N E to Z. Well, Joe, uh, that's the deal. You know, I've spent a lot, I don't know what Russ's background is, but I've spent a lot of, a lot of years. Uh, I always ended up being the guy that trained people. at every job I had. Didn't matter if it was printing, security, whatever. And, uh, when I got into amateur radio and I started Elmering people, I found out that you probably wanted to keep it as simple as possible and not throw in too many details. And that's always worked well for me. And, uh, uh, I always try to keep things simple when I'm talking about them. How about you, Russ?
1: Um, I, I actually would like to keep things simple when I talk about them. I have a feeling I tend to drift off into the minutiae more often than i would like but uh you seem to be keeping me grounded and i think we're trying trying to keep each other from rambling too bad
0: well that's because i'm a dumb old boy and if you get too technical i'm not gonna be able to keep up
1: well sometimes i get too technical and even i can't keep up and that's a real problem
0: (laughs) Uh, anyway thank you joe for uh for sending us that, that nice piece of feedback And while we're talking about feedback and emails, uh, y'all let us know, uh, do we really need an install episode? Uh, I've had, uh, had some, uh, emails and some feedback in the forums that kind of alluded to, uh, expectations of an install program. Uh, we prefer, we think. That, uh, most of you guys can handle an install, but if it is the consensus of the listeners, y'all go ahead and let us know and, uh, and we'll get that thing happening. Just make sure, uh, you either send me or Russ an email or put it in the form. I want to spend 30 minutes reading feedback next time. Y'all need to send Russ some emails because he's feeling left out. You need to get some, uh, activity going on in these forums. You need to, uh, go over to the website and, and, Look at every single page and put a comment on it. I want a, I want a blizzard of feedback, a blizzard. And I know y'all can do this for me because hey, if you guys, and I know some of you guys do, if you guys can hang out on Twitter and type back and forth to each other, then you can, uh, definitely, definitely leave us some comments.
1: All I can say okay. is I'm, I'm thankful for editing, so you can start again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no, go ahead. It, it slipped off my mind.
1: Um, hang on. We actually let me let me address something here. We have an actual listener, and he's commenting. So says the audio feed's too loud, and it might be because I have it jacked up going out
0: here. Uh, Oops. <laughs> Due to the magic of editing, we will be right back.
1: And no one will ever hear this except for one other person.
0: Oh, it'll be all the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> well, doggone it. I can't remember what it was now. It'll come back to me. Okay, well, that wraps up feedback. Um, you got anything else before we uh, take a short break and move on to the next segment, Russ?
1: Um no, I think I'm wholly unprepared for this episode, so let's go into a musical break where I can actually get myself together and we'll uh move on from there.
0: Do, 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 oh. Did you get the file I sent you? Uh
1: the file on the outline? Uh yeah, and I was looking at it here a second ago.
0: Pretty simple. Oh, can you take a piece and insert it in front of the brake? Would that be too difficult? A piece
1: and insert it in front of the brake? Like, what do you mean?
0: just remembered what it was. I forgot.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can move stuff around. That's not a problem. Now um, i got to
0: remember what it was again. <laughs> I'll remember it later. Later, we'll stick it on the end. I'll write it down the next time. I have my carpenter's pencil. okay you ready to come back from the break um
1: more or less (laughs) okay
0: all right and we're back okay um i know this stuff has been really dry y'all and uh we i promise you we are getting to it um we are getting to it uh this time we want to talk a little bit more about uh about what uh software is available in the repositories so that, uh, you new guys for the most part can go take a look and see what it is you might need, uh, might need and, uh, go ahead and get it installed and possibly get things up and going. So, uh, we're going to start with like, you know, what software is really available? And, uh, once again, we're catering to, or we're, playing to the Debian Ubuntu Linux mint thing primarily and uh SUSE we got a got a good piece of input on SUSE
1: Something went all kinds of screwy there.
0: <laughs> huh. Well, I guess we'll start over again, and I'll try not to stumble over myself so much. Y'all still with us on the live feed? I hope. <laughs> uh, and we're sorry if we're a little bit loud, but I got a big mouth. Okay.
1: No, I fixed. I fixed that problem. But wow, I don't know what was happening there. I'll. You know, when you <laughs> listen to the raw feed, you'll hear it. But all right, so go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's start over again. Okay. And we're back. All right. I know this stuff's kind of, kind of dry guys. I know it really is guys and gals, whoever may be listening at this time. I know it's really dry, but we want to make sure you have a good foundation before we get started. And please understand that when we talk about this stuff, we are talking mainly about uh, Debian Ubuntu Linux men. Now, as we get further along in the episode, we will be talking about other distros a little bit more. But, uh, as it is right now, we're gonna, we're gonna work off the Ubuntu repositories. And for this episode, I promise we're gonna get to the fun stuff. But we're gonna go over, uh, a little bit more about what packages are available for amateur radio operators in the repositories, in the Ubuntu repositories. That'll be the easiest place for the new guys to find their, uh, find their, uh, packages and software. So, uh, there's currently 87 amateur radio packages in the Ubuntu repository. I know this because I checked it out yesterday. And just because it's not in the repositories doesn't mean it's not available. Now, the different distros have a a set of standards for the software they put in their repositories. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good piece of software because it's not in the repositories. It's just they have a certain list of stuff that they want these programs to, uh, a certain way they want these programs to perform, a certain level they want them to be at. And if they haven't reached that yet, they may not be in the repositories or they may be in one of the, uh, unstable repositories lower down the list. We talked about that an episode or so back. That's why they have community-maintained and unmaintained repositories because uh, some some of the stuff you'll find in there is just as good as anything that's in the regular uh, Ubuntu repository. It's just it hasn't gone through the process uh, of being checked out so it can be put in the main repository. Now, there are a lot of packages out, out on the web And the main distros don't know about all of them. Did I miss anything on that section, Russ?
1: No, I think you pretty much covered it. Um, you mentioned the, uh, unstable repository. Um, in Ubuntu, um, they call that, well, there are two of them actually. One's called universe and one's called multiverse. And I, if you, uh, if you've ever read any documentation, On Ubuntu, one of the things that most people will tell you to do before you do anything is to enable those repositories because they contain almost all the stuff that you'll ever need. And, um, all that, all that stuff that can break your distribution or, you know, hose up your computer or whatever, that's where they stick that. And in Debian, it's in the unstable, or they put it in the, uh, contrib repository. Um, and, but most of the time stuff that w- doesn't wind up in the main repositories is because it simply doesn't follow license rules or just has some simple problem that doesn't make it fit or makes it somehow, uh, not ready for prime time, but it's, uh, they're still easily accessible and, uh, usually just enabling a secondary repository is all you have to do.
0: And that's the whole point. I mean, it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, there's, there's a library that, uh, is not available or is not available with that distribution, but the program has to have it to run, you know, the simple things. And like we found out due to our feedback over at the forums, there's also, uh, packages to be had over at SUSE Linux. So, um we will be addressing that at uh, some point in the future but uh that's pretty much the skinny on on the repositories and like I said for at this point it's best for us to uh make sure we go over this a second time so the newer guys are able to uh able to get in there and find what they need <clears throat> okay so you might be asking or the burning question in your mind is probably what types of software are available now we don't, we couldn't, can't possibly go over everything that's in the repositories in an hour, half hour, however much time we've got left. But, uh, you know, we'll hit some of the highlights. You know, uh, first of all, digital terminal software, digital terminal software for, uh, most of us means, uh, software to run PSK31 ready, uh, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not very accurate to call it a PSK 31 program because they all do so much more. You know, uh, the one that I use in particular offers PSK 31, QPSK 31, Olivia, Riddy, Hellschreiber, MFSK 16, and quite a few others. And there's several of these, uh, uh, digital terminal programs available. Uh, the ones that I use most often are GMFSK and I've just recently moved over to FL Digi. And uh, I'm finding that I actually like FL Digi more. Now for those of y'all that have used uh, Digipan in the past over on your Windows machine, you'll find that uh, GMFSK is a lot like Digipan. Not exactly the same, but uh, it's pretty close. You know, and it, the one you end up using, it's all personal preference. So, uh, uh, well, just like any, any PS, uh any digital terminal pro software you would use over on windows, you know, some people like am radio deluxe, some people like digipan, some like uh mix Uh, I always like the M M T T Y for uh ready, but it's, it's all personal preference. And, uh, As you go along, you'll figure out which one's best for you. Um, So uh, what are your opinions on some of the... Well, one more thing I wanted to say before I turn it over to you, Russ. Uh, One of the things I found also is that the code in Linux, for some reason, seems to make the sound card work better. I can pick up signals on PSK31 on my Linux machine or on a, on a, on the machine that I use for ham radio that has Linux on it that I never could have, uh, picked up when I was using, uh, 2000 Pro. Over to you, Russ.
1: Um, <clears throat> well, I'm not sure what I'm going to say about this stuff because <laughs> I haven't <clears throat> really used a lot of digital mode programs. So,
0: well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, we're going to get you up to speed because, you know, Arkansas is close enough. We can work PSK, <laughs> even if we have to do it on seventy-five meter. <laughs>
1: um, well, I've um, I haven't uh, had a lot of experience with using some of these programs, but I have looked at them. Um, I'm not one to, or haven't experimented a lot with the digital modes. But um, you know, the look of a program can, you know, impact. Uh, you know how you use it as well too um i'm i've taken a look at FL digi and one of the things i noticed about it is it's pretty uh pretty organized in the way it's laid out and it gives you a lot of functionality um a lot more it seems than GMFSK. and yeah it it uh, has modes that uh, i don't think i've even heard of <laughs> that uh, well i
0: go ahead i mean well i i guarantee you they've got some of them have got modes i've never used olivia throb uh but i'm looking into those in fact in uh i've got a QSD magazine laying in there with an article on olivia on it and i plan on reading it in the next couple days
1: but um yeah what else can i say about um Yeah, one of these days I'm going to actually get my HF rig back on the air so I can start playing around with this. And uh, maybe um, I have worked a lot of uh, stuff like on the Century Club nets, um, 80-meter, 75-meter down to Texas. So maybe we need to hook up and work some Ritty or PSK-31 or something so I get the hang of this stuff.
0: Well, see, there you go. And you bring something else up. Everybody I know is talking about Century Club now. Where were all you guys when I was calling that net? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I haven't been on there in a while. When I was calling Century Club, nobody used it. But that's okay because, uh, yeah, we'll we'll work some, read in some, uh, uh, some PSK. Well, the only reason I uh, wanted to bring up GMFSK for you guys is GMFSK is going to be easier for the new PSK uh, user to set up and run uh, the uh, FL Digi. Oh, yeah. It's got an awful lot of stuff you can get in there and configure and uh, everything else, and it even has an option to let you uh, uh, line up your sound card using uh, WWV. But uh, for the new guys, it might be a little advanced.
1: I gotta, I kind of like the brag button.
0: <laughs> uh, well, uh, you, you, all you got to do is make you a list. I mean, I, I can keep them sitting there for a half hour with my, with my brag tape. <laughs>
1: yeah f l digi gives you a little uh few little tweaks where you can push a you can push a button on the uh on the interface and it uh dumps out a lot of information so that you don't have to type it over and over again like uh like uh your c q s or your uh qso information or uh your uh q r t or the brag button which will let you uh put in your uh rig power, antenna configuration, email address, and all that stuff, and just send it all out of whack.
0: Oh, yeah. My father's got something that's a—it's uh, kind of like Parkinson's, but not the same thing. But it does make it difficult for him to, him to hammer on a key. And uh, he was a big CW guy. But you know what? He loves those macros in these terminal programs. <laughs> okay, so... We've talked about digital ter- digital terminal software a little bit uh you can also uh there are is software in the repositories for monitoring the dx clusters and for those of you that are pretty new to amateur radio i don't know uh you may not know too much about d x clusters basically what a dx cluster is is uh uh servers out on the web that you can access uh locally. In some places you can access them over two meter or 440 packet. But, uh, most of us nowadays access them through, uh, through a program that goes out on the web and uses telnet to get at them. And, uh, some of the ones that are available, uh, just a couple are, uh, XDX and color DX. And most of the logging programs you'll find in uh, Linux also allow you to monitor uh, the DX cluster. Uh, we'll, we'll get down to logs in a minute, and I'll talk about that. But uh, when I'm just monitoring the DX cluster and really don't want to have the log open, uh, most often I use XDX. Now, it's pretty simple. and uh, In fact, uh, one of the reasons I like it is because it is very simple, and it reminds me of uh, packets. Because, uh, we used to have three or four, uh, DX clusters up on the air here locally in this part of Texas. And that's the way I monitored the, the DX cluster. Color DX, on the other hand, it, uh, it just allows you to have some more colors. It's a little nicer looking program and, uh, uh, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, uh, once again, that's something else that's going to be personal preference. Uh. Let me tell you though, Russ, I've worked a lot of countries monitoring monitoring that DX cluster.
1: Well, it's, that's that's um, that's something uh, uh, another thing that I need to get into. I really, really need to get myself back on the air, <laughs> especially if, you know as we continue with this. Um, um, I'm going to be it's going to turn a lot more one sided if I don't start talking on the radio some more.
0: Well, no, it ain't going to get one-sided because, uh, you guys, uh, you all if you haven't figured it out, Russ is the computer guy and I'm the radio guy. If, uh, either one of us actually have a, a set purpose in this podcast, because, uh, uh, he knows these computers way better than I do. And I just happen to have a little experience with most things, (laughs) amateur radio. Okay. So, uh some of the other things you guys might be interested in, uh, we wanted to get to packet radio and APRS because I know that uh, right now here locally, the uh what is it? The Chamber of Commerce that operates an event here on this side of the county that I live in is wanting to be able to do asset tracking during a uh, a couple of a couple of public service events so a lot of the guys are gearing back up for aprs now those of y'all that listen to other podcasts know how i feel about aprs so i won't even start however there are uh, plenty of packages a lot of packages for packet in the linux in the linux repositories now uh, there are bbs there are packet bbs and node programs uh for those of y'all that have been around enough to have worked uh, the BBSs when they were going hot and heavy on 2 meters and 440, uh, F6FBB is still available. And, uh, in fact, the newer versions of it, I believe, only have a version for Linux. And uh, those of y'all who have run packet nodes, which a node is basically a... Uh, a router or digipeter for packet radio. Uh, there's one out there called node. Very simple, but, uh, you know, it helps route packet packets and, uh, moving back and forth between frequencies and that kind of stuff. Of course, y'all are probably wanting to know about APRS. Well, there is an awful lot of APRS software out there for the uh, Linux operating system. The two that, uh, really jumped to mind for me, which are the ones that I would use if I was, uh, have, was set up to do it here at this location would be APRS Digi and APRS D gateway software. Now the APRS Digi is basically what would be called a node on, uh, r- regular full protocol packet and, uh, but, for those of y'all that work APRS, you know, you, you send a, you send a beacon, a minute later you send another, two minutes later you send another, four minutes later you send another. And, uh, APRS Digi allows you to set up a DigiPeter for that, uh, a wider relay, so that, uh, it hears a signal and then retransmits it. Now, in the case of, uh, node software, which I feel is probably more node type software than Digipeter software. In the case of a Digipeter, it hears the signal retransmits it. Uh, in the case of node software, it hears the signal, it takes it, uh, makes sure that it's uh, in good shape, and then retransmits it like it was the first time it was out of a transmitter. Uh, the Gateway software, on the other hand, allows you to um, set up a server at your home with a RF side and a internet side and receive APRS packets and transfer them to one of the APRS servers out on the internet so that it can be, uh, applied to the maps over at places like, uh, uh, JAPRS or, uh, no, Java APRS or, uh, the other APRs, big APRs website. I can't remember what it's called right now. Now, before we leave digital, I want to mention something else that, uh, Russ and I kind of work off a list and I didn't get it on there because I forgot about it. Uh, that's also D star. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with D star, D star, D star is a digital voice protocol, uh, for VHF and up, which, uh, Allows for kind of an encoded thing, but not so much. It's more about gateway use and control being moved from the repeater to the user instead of like RLP where the uh, actual repeater's in charge. But there's also a digital terminal program for that, or a digital low-speed digital that you can run with a D-Star. And there's several programs out there. Most of them for the windows are for the windows operating system. Uh, one, one I know for sure, uh, can be run on either or because it's written in Python. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that Python will run on Linux and that one is called DRATS and it's a terminal program where you can send messages back and forth. You can, uh, uh, transfer uh forms in a digital fashion and that kind of stuff. So that's something else. Uh right now I don't know of D being in any repository anywhere. But when we get to that point we'll uh we'll point y'all in the right direction. So uh any thoughts on Packet, Russ?
1: Well, <clears throat> Packet's one of those things that I tried real early on and when I first used it Um, I think I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, actually. Um, I was actually on a 286 using uh, Minix, and that was my first um, dealing with packet radio. And that worked really well. I mean, it had a simple terminal emulator for packet. And one thing I liked about packet was it was low speed, but it was really easy to use, and it was really simple. And um, in the area where I was, there wasn't a lot of ham traffic at all. But there was some you know two meter around, and people ran uh packet b b s nodes and so I got to play around with it a little bit but uh as far as the software is concerned it it was always uh unix based for me, and it seemed to work really well but see, there go ahead
0: so there you go, you got lucky. I started out on commodore sixty four <laughs> <laughs> But the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, that's the deal with full, full AX25, which, uh, APRS is not. And that goes back to my opinions, refer to resonant frequency. But, uh, yes, it's low, but that's because it's error correct. It's an error correcting protocol and you send out a signal, then you wait for an acknowledgement. If it doesn't come through, you send it out again. So, yeah, it, it's a, it can be a little slow. APRS tra- moves a little faster, but uh, you end up with a lot of collisions.
1: I just hear on uh, the ham radio blogs and all the stuff that APRS is the amateur radio's uh, low jack. <laughs> That's what everybody pretty much. pretty much used it for. They don't bother to use it for anything. Uh, well, I guess you could consider that useful. But it's sort of become the only reason people use it.
0: Well, pretty much. You know, you're supposed to turn it off when you're through with it, but there's people that I've seen people leave it running in the driveway all night. And the only reason it's come back up around here is because, like I said, one of the Chamber of Commerce's in one of the cities over here has decided they want to do uh, asset tracking during a couple of their events. And when they say assets, they mean us, and they don't normally have the SET on the end. That was a subtle joke. All right. Well, let's move on a little bit quicker. Uh, we've been going a while and I kind of want to get through, uh, most of this stuff. Uh, like I said, we can't possibly talk about everything on this particular episode, but we will, uh, we will definitely get back to uh, get back to everything sooner or later. Next, let's talk about logging and rig control. That's one of the things I get asked most often when I'm talking about Linux, and somebody somebody will say, "Well, I'm running Ham Radio Deluxe, and I can operate, I can change the frequency on my rig, and all this other stuff from uh, uh, the mouse and the keyboard." Well, you know, you can do that with Linux too. Uh, we don't have anything like Ham Radio Deluxe just yet, and that's because the guy that writes Ham Radio Deluxe is going to write for Windows only. But there's also a way around that, and sooner or later we'll be able to do it. But we'll talk about that further on. And we're talking about programs like GRIG and ICOM. There's uh, some specialized ones out there. But they all basically use the same set of libraries, which uh are the uh, HAMLIB, 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 everybody pronounces it different, set of libraries. And, uh, those are written to plug in to the serial port and be able to operate these rigs over regular, uh, what is it? CI-V cable is what they call it. I call it the data cable, but, uh, my, my Yazoo over there on the other desk, it, it, it plugs up with one of those cables. And sure enough, uh, I haven't spent the time to, get it working again with the rig control but I haven't had any problem in the past getting it up and going and these particular libraries uh, when you get to looking down the list it covers just about every uh, rig that's out there now uh, in fact I think there's even a rig control for Kenwood TS440 and the only reason I looked at that is because I used to have a couple of them Great rigs, great rigs. But there's also the logging programs. And the reason I love lump these things together is, uh, uh, your logging programs, you've got stuff like XLog and KLog. There's several logging programs out there. There's one over at, uh, the website where FL Digi is, that, uh, the name eludes me at the moment. But I know with XLog, which is the one I use, using those same, that same set of libraries, uh, it can control the rig. And one of the things I said when we were talking about the X cluster, not only will X-Log do rig control and give you the information on what frequency you're on so it logs it for the contact you're making at the time, it also is able to hook into the DX cluster. So, you're able to kill three birds with one rock. And if I remember correctly, it'll even track a handful of awards. Uh, most importantly for all of you guys, DXCC. So, uh, we know this stuff is available. And like I said, it's, it's, once again, it's a matter of preference. And where, uh, these things are concerned. Everybody likes a different different type of uh, logging software. I will tell you one more thing about XLog, which, is, like I said, is the one I use. It will also export to aDF, and if for those of y'all who keep up with that, aDF files is one of the formats they expect they accept over at Logbook of the World. So uh, that's another another plus for it. So. Yep. It's not scribbling on a, on a legal pad anymore. Not, not where Linux is concerned anyway. So, uh, you have any thoughts on those two items?
1: Um, well, I've, uh, I played around with a few of the different logging, uh, pieces of software that I found, like Xlog and Klog. And, um, <clears throat> like most things with a K, Klog is sort of a KDE based, um, QT. Designed interface and doesn't run real well on my gnome desktop but um, they're all simple to use and they're all uh, certainly handy and yes getting any kind of logging software that works in a diff format is excellent because a lot of the ham radio loggers will use it when it will make your data interchangeable um, not only with um, sort of the uh, not only with the Services that allow you to publish ADIF data, but also if you want to move back and forth or across computers. Um, for example, like uh, the 30, we talked about the Century Club. They have their own logging software. It only runs on Windows. Um, there is a way around that, and I guess we're going to get to that at some point. But, uh, you know, let's say you're doing your logging with that, you, it saves uh, all your data in ADIF format as well. But if you make contacts elsewhere, You can also merge it together, and uh, that makes things uh, very easy, and we're all about doing things the easy way.
0: That's right, because Richard is lazy. Richard is cheap. Richard is lazy, so he wants to do things the easy way. And I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, yes, uh, over on, uh, on the 2000 Pro machines, when I was running those, I was using a... Uh, logging software called, of all things, XM Log, and uh, no relation. But when it came time for me to move my log files over to one of the Linux boxes, I just saved it to ADF, moved it over, and loaded it in, and it worked just fine. Uh, a lot of these uh, PA- terminal programs that we talked about, we're talking about earlier, they saved to ADF or can be exported to ADF, so if you... Uh, log some contacts in there, you export it out, you import it into your log, and it, it goes right on in. Okay, so, uh, we've covered a few things. Let, let me, uh, go over some other stuff really quick, because I know we've been going for a while. Uh, there is a, there is a program called Trusted, uh, Trusted QSL. Yeah, Trusted QSL in the uh, Ubuntu Ubuntu repositories. And uh, Trusted QSL, as you guys that use Logbook of the World know, is uh, how they digitally sign these Logbooks so that they can be imported into Logbook of the World over at the LOTW website. So there is a program specifically to do that in the Linux repositories. Satellite software. Now, I know there's maybe a couple of you guys that are working satellites, or if you haven't worked them, you, you want to work them and definitely want to be able to track them. And there's quite a few programs out there for, uh, tracking the satellites, decoding telemetry. Uh, there's one out there that is specifically for decoding, uh, AO40 telemetry, which I myself can't make heads or tails out of a telemetry a- transmission, but, uh, if you like to watch numbers, Bounce around—it's—it's kind of cool, and most of these satellite tracking programs, which I never actually got heavy into satellites, but I was on the way to doing so. Most of the satellite programs I have looked at in the Linux, on the Linux uh, in the Linux distributions are comparable to the satellite tracking programs that I was using under Windows. So, we're good to go there cw there is there are several pieces of packages in the in the uh, repositories that are uh, useful if cw is your game there are several uh, morse code tutors in there uh there's one or two for uh, actually decoding morse code um, you know the the software for uh, cw You know, most of us guys, we just get out there and hammer on a key, but uh, if you're still learning, it's definitely helpful to have those training programs. Antenna modeling software. I have seen uh, at least one program in the repository. I, I downloaded it and took a look at it here a few months back that is very similar to EasyNet which is one of the more popular antenna modeling programs over on the window side. Uh, if you don't want to use that one, there's several other. There's a program in there for uh, figuring Smith charts. And for those of you who are a little higher on the on the scale of working with antennas and stuff, you'll, you probably want to be able to model Smith charts on your computer. Uh, there is a program for that. There's also a program called SPLAT, and SPLAT is for uh, creating a map, a, a coverage map, more than anything else. I think it's worded different in the repository, but you can basically make a coverage map uh, using uh, your local terrain information and the height above ground and ERP of a local repeater or your own station. Ooh, there's a lot of stuff in Linux. We still got a couple things left. <laughs> uh, propagation software. Propagation software. Uh, I use a uh, program that I've been using for a long time because once again, it's simple and so is Richard. And I use it. It's a it's a Windows application, but I run it under Linux because it is uh, one of the one of the ones that fall within a certain. Set of criteria, but there are several good propagation programs over in the Linux repositories, and that's simply I don't use those simply because I haven't gotten around to it yet. For for the most part, uh, they'll tell you what the maximum usable frequency will be uh, and different, give you different information on uh, on your long path and short path distances and that kind of stuff. So uh, you should really check those out. And Russ, I haven't let you talk in a while. I don't want to think I took over the show. <laughs> well, I figured
1: I'd come back and do it about the time we got into running uh Windows software under Linux and the ways we can deal with that. And you can yeah, go ahead I'm- uh go ahead and and you can go ahead and uh finish out what you got on uh different kinds of Linux software for radios and for amateur radio. Uh if you want, we've probably been running for a while here. We could take another quick break and uh, come back, and you can finish off that, and then we'll get to uh, a couple of different nifty ways that you can run Windows software under Linux.
0: Well, you know what? I have been running my head for a long, long time, and that means y'all probably need a drink, and I probably need a drink, but we're not going to play that much music, and we'll be back in just a minute. For you guys on the live feed, we're going to give y'all long enough to get up and go to the restroom get something to drink. (laughs) <laughs> is it still too loud? Let us know if it's still too loud No,
1: I got that taken care of
0: Okay, we got one fan out there on the live feed
1: Yeah, I know who that fan is It's my significant other
0: Oh, well hello, hello Mrs.
1: Russ <laughs> She said she was cleaning house But she'll continue to listen So,
0: Well that's very cool does she have her license?
1: Not yet. I've been working on it.
0: Well, you know, my second wife had her license. Uh My current wife, I can't get her to get hers. And my first wife, I don't like talking to her in person. Why would I want to talk to her on the radio? <laughs> but that's okay. All right. Well, if she's the only listener on the live feed, I guess we can get back to it. Okay, we are back from the break. Now, I know I'm putting y'all to sleep, but we're almost there. We're we in the home stretch. Uh Radio Beacon software, you know, we're talking about other types of software that are in the repositories and uh uh Radio Beacon software, there's a program called the International Beacon Program where uh I haven't really checked too deeply into it, but I'm sure it's an organization where uh, they coordinate uh beacons on different bands around the world and there is a piece of software actually in the Linux operating system or in the repositories where you can uh, actually see when those bo- mo- monitor or when those beacons are actually uh, transmitting which allows you to be able to tune down there where they're supposed to be and see if you can hear them now that may not seem like a lot but you dxers you know the value of that oh uh, let's see qss tv QSS TV is the only uh, slow-scan television program I've been able to find so far for Linux. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't more out there. That just means that I have not run across them yet. But QSS TV is a very good, basic, entry-level slow-scan television program, which will allow you to uh, create your own, uh, own images to send out over there, and allow you to receive without any big problem at all. And even though uh, a lot of the uh, slow scan guys are moving to digital slow scan, uh they're going to be up on fourteen two thirty instead of fourteen. Uh, no, they're going to be on fourteen two thirty three instead of fourteen two thirty. But I guarantee you, the analog guys, they're still going to be on fourteen two thirty, and they'll be there for a long time because a lot of those guys are old timers and. Uh, it's kind of, once you get set in your ways, it's kind of hard to change. So there's a lot more software that we could talk about, but we'll get to it as time permits. And I really don't want to drill this in too heavy because I don't want to run off more listeners than we're gaining. So if you can't find the software for your particular need, there are alternatives, and that's why I'm glad we got Russ here because he knows way more about this stuff than I do. So, Russ, what's your take on uh, on DOS emulators?
1: Uh, DOS emulators are, <clears throat> I would guess, uh, well, I'm not going to guess. DOS emulators are getting a little less useful because there's a little less software for DOS than for newer operating systems. But uh, things there are several uh, DOSes out there like FreeDOS and DOSEmu and stuff like that. Um, that and I'm you know I haven't actually looked at a DOS emulator for a while. I'm I'm speaking out of turn here. Uh, does DOSEmu actually run under Linux?
0: <laughs> well, you know the thing about it is DOSEmu and you've got uh, DOSBox and the Box, uh, not to be confused with DOSBox. Uh, there are several of the DOS emulators out there, and uh, in fact, we were talking about packet while ago. I have a copy of the original PC pack rat that came with my PK232. And when I get the, chi- get the time, I'm gonna fire that bad boy up under a DOS emulator and uh, run that PK232 the way it's supposed to be run. I haven't been able to do that in years, and I think I will thoroughly enjoy it because it'll do everything. You know, it'll do all the old-time uh, protocols. It just, uh, you know, some of this new stuff like uh, PSK. It won't, well, I can get a board for PSK, but I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the well, nice it, things
1: about the one of the nice things about the DOS emulators is they're um, very lightweight. And of course, if you knew DOS way back when, you know it now. And they all look just like MS DOS version six point two uh which i believe was the last one before they went to windows and so you can uh you know you can find these the dos emu and uh DOS box in the repositories you know under ubuntu you can just uh use Synaptic or apt-get or whatever install your dos emulator and um they interface with your system's local file system so you can put in your floppies if you happen to still have a have a floppy drive or if you've got a USB drive or something like that, um, things will just run off of them, just like you had a floppy disk in the old days. So very handy that way.
0: Well, you know, you just reminded me how smart doing this program is making me because you said Synaptic and apt-get, and I was uh, telling telling everybody a episode or two back that I couldn't remember the name of the package manager in Ubuntu. It is Adept, A-D-E-P-T, Adept. And, uh, that's how smart this show is making me. I couldn't remember what it was, so I had to go find out. (laughs) Well, and, uh, yes, like I said, that terminal program that came with my PK-232, that's when I bought my first one back in 1993. And, uh, 6.22 really left us flat. You, there was DOS 7, but it was uh, wrapped up inside of Windows 98, and you couldn't get it as a separate deal. Now, there are other ways to run Windows software also, and running running stuff in DOS, you're not really going to be able to run that Windows software, but there is a something out there that's called WINE, which uh, stands for WINE is not a Windows emulator or not an emulator, something like that. Russ knows more about this stuff than I do. Well wine stands
1: for wine is not an emulator it's a it's it's a it's called a reflexive acronym It's one of those things that makes geeks really really happy um, <clears throat> but the thing about wine that makes people really happy is that you can run native windows applications on Linux using it um, basically because it creates a fake windows environment on your linux system installs some of the basic um, DLLs that your most of your Windows programs will need. And once that's done, then you can install <clears throat> most Windows applications. Now, anything that uses a lot of intensive graphics or there's a lot of uh, external peripheral interaction, things like that, don't really work well under Wine. But most of your radio applications will work fine. Um, even stuff like rig control programs, Wine has the ability to access the, you know, your computer's serial port and disk drives and things like that. So all that stuff will work just fine. So if you find a program that works really well, or like, for example, we've mentioned the Century Club a few times tonight, um, We've mentioned the Century Club a few times in this episode, and if you happen to be using their software, which is Windows only, you can run it under Linux, so you don't have to go back to Windows just for that. It will run under Wine because it's uh, one of the simpler programs. It doesn't use a lot of the Windows libraries that may or may not be installed with the Wine installation. So it works really well that way. And there's another product which is based on Wine. It's called Crossover Office. And one thing, it it originally started out as just a way to run Microsoft Office under Wine. But over time, it's developed into a sort of front end for Wine that makes installing applications, Windows applications, in Wine much easier. It's sort of free, but really not. You're you're asked to pay for it if you want to continue to use it. I'm trying to remember how much it costs. It's not much. I think it's $25 a year or something like that. And it's well worth it because it gives you an interface for installing Windows applications under Linux, and it makes things really, really easy. Plus it comes with some default applications that, you may find useful to run under Linux like Internet Explorer and, you know, Microsoft Word Viewer and Excel Viewer.
0: Well, well, yeah. And, uh, that, that's the deal. I've looked at Crossover Office myself, but I remember the first time I looked in wine, there was, a an older version Internet Explorer in there. And we were talking about, the uh, propagation programs a little bit earlier in this podcast. And one of the programs that I run over here is a little a dinky propagation program that I've used forever and a day called W6ELProp. And W6ELProp is a Windows application. But uh, I installed it under Wine, And once I got the, uh, the video settings right, which was just a matter of going in and putting telling it to show it at the right resolution, uh, it came up, ran and, uh, just goes like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I stay awake from crossover office though, because y'all know I'm cheap.
1: <clears throat> well, like I said, you know, you can, you can use it for free, but it's one of those things where they'd like you to pay for it. Um, it just gives you a, a you know, there, I guess we're sort of walking that line between cheap and easy right now, but, uh. If you, if you want things just a little easier, you can go with uh, Crossover Office, which, by the way, you can find at CodeWeavers, dot scom um, Although wine is now getting easier to use, just, just like most things, uh, with time and a little bit of uh, programming and development, everything's getting a little easier to use in general. So, Wine's not that difficult now, and it's just a matter of installing the Wine package and then running the Wine Configurator to install your Windows applications. But you know, thought I'd like to give CodeWeavers a little uh, boost there because they do—they uh, do make an excellent product, and I personally, you know, use it and like it because it makes my life easier. And we're all about that, as I said.
0: Well, y'all know that. Uh... I, if I say cause I'm cheap, it's cause I am cheap. And, uh, yes, they have a good product over across over office. Uh, y'all need to go check it out. Uh, one of the other ways we can, uh, we can run Windows software or actually Windows, Apple, whatever we want, uh, is in a virtual machine. And now virtual machines are kind of advanced, but, uh, we'll give you the basics on it. Um, uh, I know there's uh, some commercial software, but there's also, uh, for those of you that uh, have bailed on Microsoft Office and gone to uh, OpenOffice, you know Sun Microsystems, uh, or is that Novell? I think that's Novell. I may not know what I'm talking about. Save me, Russ. (laughs) You're talking about OpenOffice? Yeah, OpenOffice. Emulators our uh, virtual machines
1: um which virtual machines are you referring to
0: well, well I'm trying to I'm trying to let the folks know that uh, you can run a copy of windows inside of linux or uh, i guess you could probably if you could get your hands on it, get a copy of os 10 and run it under linux
1: um well um that we did you want to talk about things like VMware or yeah. Okay, uh well, uh VMware is one of those things that you can use to run a, another operating system inside your main operating system. So you can run Windows under Linux or you can run Linux under Windows, either one. Um <clears throat> uh some of them um well, start can so that's another way you can do it. Um, now, VMware has some free versions, and they have some not free versions. So the one you use, you should pick carefully. Uh, VMware Workstation, which is the typical one you might use, is not free. Um, but you, if you can get away with using VMware Server... Which has a completely different interface and is a little bit more, is a little bit harder to use. And it's a little more, um, resource intensive, but it is free if you want to try it out. Uh, it may not work the way you're expecting though. And we probably don't need to go very deeply into virtualization in this particular podcast, I think. That's that's probably a topic all by itself, really. But it is, it, if you want to play around with VMware, um, that is a way to uh, that is a way to get around the problem of running Windows software under Linux. But you're kind of not getting around it because you'd still be running Windows. Um, there used to be a thing called Win for Linux. I don't even know if that's still around. Is it?
0: Uh, I haven't checked into it in quite a while i did check into it a couple years back and it was still in uh, in active uh they were still actively maintaining it
1: well apparently Uh, they they are still active at win 4 the number four lin.net um apparently they still sell um win for lin which is another virtualization technology for running windows under linux so that's something you can look at if you really want to uh they say I'm looking at the website right now and it says the desktop five for Ubuntu is twenty nine ninety nine, so that's not too bad. Uh it's actually much cheaper than VMware if you're going with the workstation version.
0: I might even pay for that.
1: Yeah, that's that's a pretty good <laughs> price point right there. That's uh that's even cheap enough for cheap people.
0: Yeah, like me. <laughs> of course, uh I am so cheap, I still uh I still default to VirtualBox which uh, so, so, I, my Sun confusion was activating a while ago. And, uh, you know, Sun Microsystems bought uh, bought out VirtualBox, and they're currently uh, producing it, but it is still available for the Linux operating system free of charge. How long that lasts, I don't know. But like Russ said, this is a pretty advanced topic. I just, more than anything else, we just kind of wanted to give y'all an idea of other options that are available to run software under Linux if it turns out that stuff in the repository is not, really doesn't turn your crank. And last but not least, you can write your own. There are so many different ways to write your own scripts and programs in Linux. There, uh, there are languages out there that are so easy to learn it it's it's scary. I myself have been uh, working my way through uh, Python trying to get boned up on that because uh earlier we were talking about D-Rats for uh, D-Star. It's written in Python and I'd like to make a couple of changes in it to uh to make it suit my needs a little better. And so Python is really easy, and for you guys that have been around for a long time, used to write programs in BASIC, I mean, uh, Python going to be really easy. Uh, shell scripting is going to be really easy, even though there are things that you can't do in, in some of these uh programming languages that you can do in others. That's the nature of the beast. But if all else fails, you can write your own programs, and that's one of the most beautiful things of all where Linux is concerned. Am I right, Russ?
1: That is definitely one of the nicer things about it. Now, if you want to, you can write stuff for Windows, too. There are people that do it, but of course you have to invest in the software development kit and everything else, and it's not cheap and it's not easy. Therefore, they have no place in this podcast. But I did want to go back just for a second and mention Xen, um, which is another virtualization technology, and we wouldn't be thorough if we didn't mention it, although um, I've found it uh, much harder to deal with than some of the other technologies. However, it is free, so if you want to go that route, you can certainly look at it, and you can find it at org, and that's Xen with an X, X-E-N.org. Uh, but, yes, being able to write your own applications certainly um, – Way more advanced than we're going to get at this point, but there are lots of different scripting and programming languages out there like Python, there's PHP, there's uh, Ruby, and all of these things are uh, application development languages that make writing your own stuff uh, a lot easier. And for those people who want to get a little more advanced, it's definitely worth looking into.
0: And there you go. So we've just about beat this dead horse to death. What do you think, Russ? (laughs) I think we just
1: about beat that metaphor to death, but yeah, I think we're, I think we're done here.
0: That's right. But you know what? The thing about beating a dead horse is that it makes the stakes really tender. (laughs) Let's see if that makes the cut. Okay. So, uh, now we've talked about all this software and stuff and we're going to do our best, do our very, very best. To get y'all a program on digital terminal software by the next episode. Now my, my, my radio box is acting stupid, but that's okay because if I can't adjust it by tapping on a keyboard, I'll adjust it with a hammer and we'll get it going one way or the other. So, uh, you have any final thoughts, Russ? Uh, no,
1: not really, um, only to say that, you know, I'm sort of glad to be back. Well, boy, if I, if I could just stop saying sort of, I'd be really happy. Nothing except to say that I'm glad to be back from California, and, I'm you know, I'm happy for the people who live out there, but I could never do it. I like my spot right here in the middle of the country, and I'm going to stick it out here. And it's a great place to be a ham radio operator and interested in Linux, so you can't beat that.
0: And there you have it. You know, there you go. Russ is virtually happy to be back. He has virtualized his life and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But, uh, let me tell you, it's been a humdinger here today. Also. Now y'all remember to send us some feedback. Y'all remember to go take a look at Gamma Leonis's website. Cause they got some really cool music over there. And, uh, with that, I really can't think of a whole lot more myself except for, uh yeah, follow us on Twitter. I'm KB5JBV.
1: And I'm J.R. Woodman because I still haven't committed myself entirely to the ham radio lifestyle.
0: Or you can send us an email at, uh if you want to send one to me, it'd be KB5JBV at com, Or Russ, um
1: myself at k5tux at dot com,
0: or go ahead and visit the forums over at dot com. uh in fact uh the forums are really starting to get a little bit of activity over there and we we'd like to see see that continuing and uh go ahead and send us an email if you uh if you think we, if you, well, no, y'all ain't listening to live feed. So y'all go ahead and send us an email or at least uh, keep an eye on Twitter so that we can keep y'all apprised of when we're on the live feed. So with that, uh, from here in Balt Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV.
1: And from deep in the Ozarks, this is Russ, K5TUX.